The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I'm joined by my good friend Pat Mayo to do another Corona cast. Though I guess we are we are getting a little bit closer to all the episodes Pat and I doing together as not not Corona cast, but rather just regular podcasts with my buddy Pat Mayo. This also appeared on his feed, uh, the Pat Mayo Experience. Of course, I encourage you guys to listen and subscribe uh, to Pat's podcast. We have a, a pretty wide ranging conversation about the vaccine and inflation and Canada and living in the city versus living in the suburbs and moving out of the city. I mean, you know, all the all the classic beats of a Pat and Davis show. I, I know that you guys enjoy these. Uh, if you want to support this show, you can subscribe on patreon.com slash TateCast for bonus episodes. You can leave a rating or review on iTunes, uh, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or you can uh, just leave. Uh, you can you can sign up on Starstock.com. You can use the promo code DavisMatic for a free ten bucks there. And now let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, everyone, uh, welcoming back in Mr. Mayo. This is another Corona Cast. You're either listening to this on the Take Cast feed or on uh, the Pat Mayo Experience feeds. Uh, Pat, as always, has my back. I messaged him yesterday morning. Him asking if he was uh, available to talk, and uh, he informed me that he was. And it's, it's easier now, our time zones line up better, because you are, you are a newly moved man. You are no longer a city dweller, Pat. Well, I, I still am in the city. I'm just in a house now. I'm just in a smaller city, which works out much better for me. How, uh, how, what's the experience of, of living in a house like? Is it, uh, are you feeling, are you feeling like big city withdrawals? Are you, are you wishing that uh, you could walk out of your building and see nothing but, but skyscrapers or do you, do you like the change? Well, where I moved to, there is a, if you come from out of province, you have to quarantine for 14 days. Them's the rules. Uh, they're clearly stated. So I'm on day 12 of my day 14 quarantine inside my house. So I've only actually left to go get a COVID test. That's like the one thing you're allowed to go do. So I, I take that 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 means the, uh, the vaccine rollout in Canada still still not A+. Uh, I think we're about on par with the states or have passed the states in terms of uh, amount of people who have gotten the vaccine so far. I saw that earlier this week. I kind of stopped where I can't leave my house. I just stopped paying attention to anything. I was like, well, none of this affects me for 14 days. So what do I care at this point? But my mom got so it have this you, morning. Sh- your mom got it this morning. So you, you are you still shotless? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, it'll probably be another few weeks before we get to, maybe it won't be, uh, before we get to my age range. Like you need to have like serious problems if you're in your thirties to go get the vaccine right now. Cause they're trying to get all of the old people, even their second shot before getting down to our age group. 
And uh, yeah, so so in in the states, we are we are past that. Basically, anyone who wants to get it can get it. Um, my my second shot, what not? I didn't even have to make an appointment. I just I just walked in to uh, the Walmart closest to my house, and they were like, "Yep, uh, show me your vaccine card. You can get you can get shot number two. We are we are actually closing vaccination centers here in the states because. So many people have have gotten them already that the the demand to have them open, you know, every day of the week is is basically gone. Really? Well, that's kind of crazy because like it feels like if they had that here, uh, people would be all about it. Let's see. Forty percent of the Canadian population has received one dose already. Uh, we gave up a lot like we're the place where I moved to actually gave up a bunch of their vaccines to like First Nations and some of the northern provinces because at the time uh, I moved back to Halifax or so in Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia was having like zero cases per day, two cases per day. So they were like, fuck it. Uh, we can hold off yeah. a little bit to try to get the vaccines to these other places where they needed a bit more. Uh, but basically, since I've returned, the cases have skyrocketed and they're back in lockdown for the first time since like last March. So that's fun. <laughs> yeah. And I, I saw that uh, Toronto is back in lockdown. That correct? Mayor Mayor Doug Ford or, or the province of Ontario is back in lockdown in general. So people people are, are not free to move about the cabin. Is that correct? Well, Toronto was in lockdown since last November. So no, nothing really changed in Toronto. <laughs> what what was it that people were mad about then? Because I saw I saw Feinberg and uh, Ashley Docking and some other people who live up north. The the response to whatever whatever occurred was was not positive. What what did I miss? So basically, there was one day where they announced a lockdown, like they don't want you going from like town to town if you don't have to kind of thing. Like there was a bunch of people in Toronto because Toronto proper was closed down and like you could drive 30 minutes and go to a gym. So a bunch of people who wanted to go to a gym in Toronto were driving 30 minutes outside of town to go to the gym and they were just spreading COVID uh, by doing that. At least that was the assumption. I don't know whether they were or not. So Doug Ford basically instituted martial law in the province of Ontario. He's like, yeah, uh, cops don't need any reason to pull you over anymore. Any of this stuff, like random searches, like that, that can just happen. And every precinct in the province of Ontario were like, yeah, we're not doing that. That is uh, that's a bit much, pal. Then he had to come out the next day and like apologize to everyone. <laughs> See, I think if that happened in the United States of America, people would be pissed. But I think all the cops would be like, "Hell yeah!" Like I don't, I don't feel as if I don't feel as if the the precinct leaders in the states would be like, "Oh, we don't, we don't want this power." Maybe that's maybe that's the wrong read. But I feel I feel like that would have a different uh evolution in the states but what what a bizarre ruling though from from mr bizarre ruling himself mr ford well when you have no political i guess he does have some political experience as a city councilor before becoming premier but uh, he's in way over his head with this stuff and he it seems like he genuinely wants to do the right thing he just has no idea how to do the right thing so he's just kind of inept when it comes down to it and i mean it's a difficult situation to try to go through as well like people are begging for everything to be reopened Open. And then the other people are calling for like harsher lockdowns. Like if we actually had a real lockdown with people not going around, maybe that would work. It doesn't seem like any of it fucking works. Just get the vaccines, and then cases will drop. At I mean, that's what we're seeing in the states, aren't we? Oh yeah, I mean cases, cases, death, case fatality rate. Like people who get COVID in the states, like basically all of it is 
down across the board, like cases, people who are dying, people who are dying when they get it, uh, ICUs, um, ba basically all, all of that stuff is, is suggesting that uh, the vaccine does work. And, and the last thing I read was that 60% of um, American adults 60% um, of American adults have at least one shot, and I think 40% have it are fully vaccinated, whether that be two shots of Pfizer, two shots of Moderna, or the one dose of J&J. &J. So that's not bad. So it sounds like, it seems like the states has just completely opened up anyway. So it's really weird, too, because like when I talk to like Americans about it, they're like, oh my God, like the Gestapo is you know coming for you in Canada because everything's on lockdown. Like it's Kind of, but people aren't as outraged as I think Americans would be by the exact same thing. Like, there are definitely people who are pissed off about it. I, I don't, no one likes it, obviously, but people are just far more concerned with not contracting COVID, it seems. Uh, yeah, so that you you just couldn't get away with that in the States. I mean, you like that, it just, I, I, you just couldn't do it. I mean, there would be, there would literally be like re revolts on, on the street. It just, it just, uh, it wouldn't work. Um, what, what's interesting though, is that I, I recently learned America has no, millions and millions. I can say I lost you, you lost my earbuds me? for a second. What were you saying? Okay. So what's most interesting to me about all this vaccine stuff in the, in the States right now is we apparently have millions and millions of doses of this AstraZeneca vaccine that no one in America can get because the FDA hasn't approved it for use here, but it's, it's just sitting in cold storage and we're not distributing it to places where they are actually having huge, like th these, all these doses should just go to India right now. Cause COVID is like destroying the entire nation of India right now. And I don't, I don't really know what the plan is with all of those vaccines. And it feels very odd that there it's not allowed for use here. It is allowed for use in other places and it's, it's not being distributed. So the vaccine that you're talking about, they just, made i don't know if it's like illegal or they stopped giving doses of it in ontario that i saw but i actually had a friend whose father is a doctor and wrote this like op-ed piece about it uh that ended up getting published you know in newspapers so like only 90 year olds probably read it uh but i saw it posted online took a gander at it and it was just like his contention that like yeah you know blood clots can happen if you have it but blood clots are like 50 times more likely by the numbers if you get covid so what are we talking about here yeah, and and something else I saw is uh, so the there was also that the the scare with the J and J that people who had gotten the Johnson and Johnson vaccine were getting blood clots, but that they were actually if you consider all of the people who got it, they were actually under the normal occurrence of people you would expect to get blood clots because they the J and J it all happened in women and apparently some birth control that that women take causes blood clots or or has the potential side effect and that the the people in the control weren't even sure if it was the birth control or the J&J &J that was at the heart of it so i i feel I, I don't know. I just I feel like uh the messaging about the dangers of the blood clots I feel like it's it's probably uh overextended and that it's it's likely fine and that the the chances of getting uh, a blood clot as a result of getting the vaccine it, it seems like way lower lower certainly lower than your chances of contracting a serious case of covid 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not really even sure on anything, but like even when it comes to COVID initially or when it comes to the vaccines, it just seems like, and I believe we've talked about this before, that people's sense of probability is just so far out of whack about everything that's going on. So and people just aren't good at measuring, like when you first look at it and it's like, oh, 2% of the people who contract COVID or whatever it might be. <clears throat> end up with like serious issues or something like that. But when you think you see it's like 0 0.02 or 0 0.02 as it pertains to the vaccine, then like that, that's a substantial difference. Uh, but when people see those numbers, it's, oh, it's like 98% to like 99.8% or something like that. It's like, oh, those are basically the same, but they're not really the same in actuality. <laughs> no, people have people. Um, I mean, I, I, I certainly am, am one of these people too it's just our our brains are not really meant to handle large numbers like that um like thinking about 98 percent versus 97 percent but when it's over 70 million people or 300 million people and you you uh you know you think um you know you you, you would basically think like oh you know that's the difference between 70,000 people and 170,000 people but just like thinking of of that that occurrence and that large number of people, like even as I'm sitting here talking to you about it, I it's hard to even estimate, you know, just how dangerous or impactful that would be. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, you can push back on that and be like, all you all you cowards who were terrified of COVID to begin with, although it had a 98% survival rate, um, now, now you don't care when there's a vaccine that comes out that has what they would say is a similar percentage, although it's not when you really look at it. Um, but I mean, those are the cases. Just just being online is not great for it. I've, it's been really nice being kind of disconnected from everything. Uh, I've been focusing on oh, golf. Oh, man, I bet. I've been focusing on golf and football research. And, you know, I'm, I mean, between you and I, there might be a new football product coming very soon. Oh, I did want to run this by you. I know this is, this. I didn't actually, yeah. usually I prepare things for this, but where you reached out to me, I assume you had something prepared that you wanted to talk about. I'm launching a new fantasy football show uh, on Mayo Media Network. It will not feature me. And I was thinking about, like I did with the baseball show or even the hockey show, was reaching out to some of the people that I really like in the industry and see if they would want to host one of the days of the week. And we run it seven days a week and go through it. Do you think it's best off to do that? Like, I can grab someone from, I, I'm just throwing out names here, from like FTN. And I've got uh, got in good with Tony and the guys over at Run Pure or even Osimo or Establish the Run or even you guys over at Daily Roto. Just try to, hey, Davis, do you want to do Tuesdays kind of thing? Or do you think I should hold like an open competition of and use it as a platform for two or three new voices to come into the industry and maybe try to give them a platform? Oh, that's actually a really cool idea. Yeah, I actually, I actually love that idea because, because one of the things, because um, I've been on the, I've been on the hiring side of like you know trying to find, you know, trying to find writers, trying to find copy editors, trying to find podcasters, you know, video guys and things like that. And you know, one of the things you run into is, is by and large, the the first people you ask are just people you know already, right? Like, oh, you know, are you available to do this? Uh, what's your work situation like guy I've known for six years? And, you know, I, I, I'm sure you get this question all the time. You know, how do I get started? Right. How do I get started in fantasy sports? And um, I, I love the idea of an open competition because it would um, it will preclude you from having to go and seek anyone out. It'll just get it'll just get sent to you. And. Uh, you won't have to specifically reject people, which sucks, right? Like when someone sends you a sample, 
that's no good. Uh, you don't have to be like, uh, you know, that's not the direction we're going. Cause theoretically, you know, you, you'll get a bunch of submissions. You'll get a bunch of people submitting their work. And uh, yeah, so I, I love that idea. I think that's really cool to try and open up a day or two of that, you know, basically being like, look, if you're, if you're good, I, I have an opportunity for you here. Yeah. And hopefully like I'm trying, I'm in the workings to get sponsorships along with it right now that it wouldn't, you know, it's not like, Hey, do this for free. It would pay something. It's probably not going to pay a ton, but it would be good exposure if you were trying to break in, I think. And you would get some money along the way and you would learn a lot about it. The reason that I always end up reaching out to you know basically the same people over and over is that I know they can do it, that it's not a lot of heavy lifting on my end. And there's something to that. Uh, so if people are trying to break into the industry and you do have like samples of your work and anything like that, like when I contact people for video, it's people that I've seen on video that I know, you know, A, have a camera, B, know how to record themselves, and C, can send the file. Like I need someone to be good at you know, breaking down fantasy football. They don't need to be the most accurate pickers in the business. But you know, if there are new injuries, I would expect them to be updated with the latest injuries so they can talk about that kind of thing. But the technology gap can be really strong with some people. Like if I was to ask Cust, for example, to send me a yeah. one-minute video of himself, he legitimately could not do that. So I can't use him because... I don't need to be adding an extra 15 hours to my of my week to try to figure this shit out for people or Matt Best, who's probably the one who's going to end up doing all this stuff in terms of producing that, you know, he has a lot to do already. He doesn't need anything extra to go along with it with one guy where if one guy needs like seven hours of babysitting a week and the other guy needs zero, he just shows up on time, sends his stuff on time, does it properly. Like that's that's such a huge bonus to everyone involved. Yeah, I mean, being technologically competent uh, is, I would say for like almost any, you know, like Im not important, but like, you know, above like non-manual labor, um, you know, non-food non industries type job. I would say being technically, co technologically competent in as many things as possible online, whether that be, you know, video producing, understanding various internet functions, being able to edit audio, being able to, uh, you know, just figure out new computer programs, never having used them before, just being, you know, technologically native. I would say like, that's gotta be one of the number one skills you can acquire in general, right? Almost regardless of, of what line of work you're in. I think in this industry too, it really goes a long way because it just opens yourself up for extra hireability. Like I, I mentioned Matt Best, who is, you know, Paul is my full-time producer for the Pat Mayo Experience. Plus he hosts a show, produces that show. Like between us, between the Pat Mayo Experience and the Dogger Pass podcast, we handle both those duties in terms of hosting and producing them. Uh, and we can do a whole bunch of them. But... When it comes to the outside work, like you see that there's a bunch of different shows up. I think we have 13 shows on Mayo Media Network now. Like there's a daily baseball show. There's a daily hockey show. There's going to be a daily football show. There's a European tour picks show. Uh, there's soccer stuff that's up there. There's NASCAR up there. And basically what I get people to do is natively film themselves. I don't worry about the editing or anything like that. That's on him to go do. But as long as you can just have the file sent to him and you've done it correctly, then all of a sudden, you know, that's on him to be able to do. Plus, he hosts a show 
on Sundays too. It's a quick show. It's like 15 minutes about like Sunday's best bets kind of thing across all sports. Right. But he has the ability to like, he had to fill in on the baseball show one night because the guy who was supposed to do it was sick or he had something to do and like shit happens. That's obviously fine. Uh, But Matt was able to step in, do that and produce it himself. But most of the time he is just either live producing some of this stuff, uh, doing the audio editing, doing the video editing and post-production, but where he has all of these skills that it just makes him so malleable that he's a great employee because of that, that there's nothing I can't ask him to do. Like he manages the social media when I'm not doing it kind of thing. He answers emails. He gets in contact with different people. Like just knowing it's not necessarily knowing because you can learn a lot of it as you go and kind of fake it until you make it that sort of deal. Right. But, But he's not afraid to, you know, he doesn't bother me with shit. He can figure out himself, which is, Step number one. That's, yeah, that's so big. Yeah. Because we've had a couple interns try to come in, and, you know, I I like to try to give people a chance, and, like, the one guy was just, like, 5,000 questions a day. It's like, you can use fucking YouTube and figure this out. Like, part of this is you figuring this out uh, and building your skill set, just not asking me or Matt or Paul every single, like, oh, it's like, oh, I'm in Photoshop. I lost this field. It's like, well, did you try fucking clicking it back on? Oh, okay. Like, that's not helping. Now you're creating more work for us. Do not create more work for the people who are, like, trying to give you the opportunity. That, that's just a big no-no. It leaves a horrible taste in everyone's mouth. Yeah, I mean, that is, that. I would say that's probably, uh, especially now that a, a huge part of modern Western work is going to be working from home. Now, obviously, people are you know, people are going to return to offices. Uh, it's, it's already beginning. We're already seeing people, uh, you know, begin to return to offices. But I, I do think it is true that a huge chunk of, of work in as we head into the future is going to be remote. And just learning to, to not, you know, email people, not, not uh, ping people every time you have a question and just giving yourself, uh, you know, giving yourself a chance, like just get like giving yourself a little bit of time to start to figure things out that that's just going to be a huge thing moving forward, I would imagine, like just, just taking some of the onus upon yourself, I think is going to be pretty big. And honestly, it's like spend the three minutes in Google search it. And if nothing comes up, type in Reddit next to your Google search, and there might be a Reddit thread about it. Like anything that we've had to figure out on the technology side, uh, just we like we've just set we basically moved all of our gear. And the first time that we set it up in Toronto at my old studio, uh, the DraftKings guys came up and set it up for us. So like. Paul and I were sitting there like trying to label cords as we were breaking everything down. I was like, where the fuck does this go? It's like, I have no idea. What is this cord for? I have no idea. But when we came back to the, like we had some, you know, initial problems. Like there's a lot of gear that we had to set up and it's not even all here yet because I've been in this house for 12 days now and our stuff from Toronto hasn't showed up yet. Uh, The truck broke down (laughs) that was bringing it here. So I am, we are just using the gear that we were able to jam into the back of Paul's car when he drove up. So like my lights are super hot and don't look good on Davis. Maybe I have a weird tan the entire time. Uh, It's because we're using this like weird Amazon lighting kit that we set up. I have like LED lights behind me. I don't have my proper camera lens. I don't have my proper lights, anything like that. But we're making do with it. And we have enough of the cords that we were able to figure it out. But for like, you know, five hours, the first day that we set it up, we couldn't get the camera to connect to the computer. Like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, what is happening? We just didn't have the right cord plugged in in the back. And we were trying to take like screenshots of everything as we were breaking it all down. But like all the cords look exactly the fucking same. So it's tough to do. I think we figured it out for the most part right now. 
um, until the rest of the year shows up. But, you know, we went on YouTube and be like, oh, yeah, where does this cord go? Like, if I'm hooking up this type of camera into this type of system, and shockingly enough, people of YouTube were good enough to upload that, and you can just watch a two-minute tutorial video about how to do it. Like, give yourself that shot in order to solve the problem. Because if you can start solving your own problems, A, you know how to do it, and that's the whole point of either being a worker or having an internship is learning and making yourself better in the process. But again, you just don't ingratiate your self to anyone else if you're asking mundane questions like a legitimate question about something that is flummoxed you and you've been spending hours on like that's one thing and especially if someone has a quick answer to it no one's gonna be mad that you ask that question but it's the easy questions the very googleable questions just shows you're not putting in the right type of effort and that's not great to see yeah no you are you are 100 correct i mean that's that's been something that i've tried to do uh like over the course of I like just over the course of working online, I've tried to figure out as much as I can in terms of video editing, audio editing. Like I, I don't ever, I don't ever want to have to ping someone I work with to ask them how to post a podcast. Right. Like that, like worst night nightmare scenario. Right. Because then it's just like that person doesn't want to take that part out of their day. Um, so yeah, you are, you are hundred percent correct. I, that what you brought up there though is, is interesting. So I'm moving in in a couple of weeks here and i i am now for the first time in, in my life i am of the 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 stage in life where i can actually pay someone to help me move to pay movers and uh moving sucks right everyone knows that moving sucks but moving especially sucks when you're young you're you know you're in college you're fresh out of college and you got to do it all yourself you know you're loading crap up in your car you're renting the truck you're lifting the couches out i i'm very excited to make my first move with movers basically it's great we moved into a hotel for three days to allow the movers to come in. We were like, fuck it. Let's get them to pack for us, too. This is great. Like, we're moving across the country. I don't want to have to fucking worry about this. So my wife and I, we paid the movers to do it. Now, we thought, like, we were being super savvy. Like, oh, we'll move into a hotel. They can take the stuff, like, three days before we actually move, and we'll be in this hotel. And then maybe by the time we show up, all our stuff will just be there already. And now here we are 12 days after we've moved, and... You know, obviously it's not here yet. Uh, So like all my clothes, all our furniture, all that stuff. So we're just kind of getting by on bare bones in this house. Uh, We ordered some stuff before we showed up. So we have a couch, we have a TV. we, We have enough to get us by. But like I'm currently sitting in like a folding chair. And people have kind of commented that I look really uncomfortable on the shows that I've shot in this new studio so far. It's because I'm sitting on the most uncomfortable chair possible, and I have no real way to go get a new one, knowing that my chairs are showing up soon. Uh, So you're in a weird give and take when it comes down to that. But back to the, like, holding an open competition for the fantasy football stuff. Like, obviously, fantasy football knowledge and camera presence is going to be the biggest thing possible. Because I can coach people up of... If people are savvy enough with computers, I can get on a 30-minute Zoom call with them and be like, hey, here's a, I'll send you a camera. Here's the camera you need. Here's the program you need on your computer in order to record. Here's how you send it. Like, it could just be that easy when it comes down to it. But we go to the people that we know, once again, because we know that they can do it. 
And you don't know that right away when it comes down to it. So maybe that's a part of the process that I need to figure out. It's like, oh, please shoot me, send me a setup that like looks good. Maybe you can like try to light yourself properly, do a proper camera shot uh, and do like five, 10 minutes on fantasy football of some kind. Uh, Maybe a little bit of gambling, maybe a little bit of DFS, maybe a little bit of season long fantasy football. Maybe we can incorporate all three of those elements into a 10 minute video. Cause you know, if I get like a hundred submissions, you know, I'm not going to have time to watch all those. (laughs) Yeah, obviously. So yeah. I, I, but, I mean, but just, just, ha- but just, just having that technical wherewithal right away that, oh, I didn't have to do anything and you were able to send this to me. That's like a big check next to you. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's massive. That's so, that's interesting. You, you mentioned, you know, uh, video presence and, and all of those things. Cause something I have seen a couple people tweet about over the last couple months is like people in our industry now, um, especially the, the sports betting industry is people are, are hiring like broadcasting coaches and, and things like that. And I just, I guess I feel tremendously blessed or, or lucky or whatever to, and, and I'm sure this is the same with you. It's like it, being on a camera is just kind of like second nature to us being on a camera, being on a podcast, you know, presenting information in uh, you know, a humorous or, or somewhat entertaining way for an audience is like, that's just like what we enjoy doing. And I I'm realizing that many people in the world uh, are, are terrified of that, are terrified of being on video, are terrified of, of speaking in front of people or are, are just not naturally good at it. And, uh, like it just, it like the, the concept of hiring someone to teach me how to talk on camera felt so foreign, but I realized that probably many, many people across the world for different reasons are doing this. I hadn't heard about this because the Mayo Media Inc. consulting actually, besides video production, helping people get set up in their own studios and making their shots look better, is I am available to coach up people in terms of broadcasting, probably at better rates than these broadcasting coaches. But I don't oh, know. for sure. I, I don't know if it's completely natural to do it. Like, I went to two years of broadcasting school. That's why I'm supposedly better at it than a lot of people. Oh, well, I mean, I didn't, I didn't go to broadcasting school, but I did, I did um, like public speaking stuff in, in high school and college, which I, I guess is why I'm more natural at it. And why also why a lot of the times, you know, when I'm, when I am doing shows with you, um, like I, I know, I know a lot of people for podcasts and some podcasts I listen to, you know, they do a lot of, they do a lot of show prep. They, they script things out and I, I just have never, been able or i've never needed to do that i mean like i that's also that's also another thing is being able to speak like extemporaneously a lot of people are not able to do that or not comfortable with that and i mean i i that that also just has been second nature to me and i you know i assume also very similar to you like it's just that like that that's it's a i i am just realizing as i get older that that is um a big blessing and and something that not a lot of people are comfortable doing I think when you go about broadcasting, I think you have to understand the type of broadcast that you're doing. So right now, you and I are yeah. just kind of talking back and forth. There's going to be stammering. There's going to be us as we think about something because you're legit. I don't know what the topic might be next. Like, you have to give me a second to think about it. If we're doing a right. football show, I know we're talking about football, so I can be a bit snappier 
with the replies on everything. And it's less conversational. It's, hey, Davis, here's a question. What do you think about this? You'll give me like a minute or so, and then you'll throw it back to me. Because I've had guests on, and I've had to stop using guests over time. People I really like, like, I think that they have an excellent personality. I think they give out great picks. But as a guest, like, like, if I ask you, like, oh, do you like Dak Prescott this year? Let's just say that was the question I asked you about football. They'd be like, yes. Yes. And like, that's not helping me here. We're, we're on a show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no. So, so you make, you make a great point, which is that um, knowledge in and of itself. And this is actually something that people get so mad about specifically for fantasy football is, is guys on social media or whatever, just find themselves getting so mad. And this is true for DFS too, is they will, they'll be like, you know, I, I am, I'm ranked higher than this guy on the, on the Roto grinders fantasy rankings or, or I've won so many fantasy football championships. And, and this guy's advice is garbage. And this guy doesn't do as well as I do in contests, or I beat this guy in contests, or I beat this guy in a league. And they, they think that that gives them, you know, the right, like, oh, I should have your job because I'm better at fantasy sports than you, which is such a misunderstanding of the industry. And like, I don't know, what would you say? 80, 90% of people who are engaging in fantasy sports content are largely doing it to be entertained because they find it to be kind of comfort food or whatever to listen to fantasy sports podcasts. It's not, it's not as if they are relying on that as their, you know, their sole decision-making point or whatever, like being entertaining, creating engaging content is, is uh, just a different skill than giving out the best picks. Right. Oh, absolutely. I think that's why when you see the very top of, let's say, the Apple podcast charts for fantasy football, I can pull them up right now. It's the Fantasy Focus with Matthew Barry. Now, some of these are going to be tailored towards people with larger distributions. Like, I would say, like, the footballers, I mean, they're an independent one. They're number one. And, I mean, they give out – you can't have bad advice. Like, actively – maybe bad advice. Correct. Because I give out actively bad advice – the footballers don't. They give out good advice, at least most of the time, and they're highly entertaining. But I'm not poorly researched. I don't have bad information. I just have bad picks. Like, if you tune into me, right. I will tell you who's hurt, what injury they have, who's going to replace them. Here are the snap shares. Here are the routes run. I have all the information that I'm trying to articulate to you. I'm just horrible at interpreting it. But, you know, I get away because people like to laugh at the show, and they have a good time coming in that's the vibe of my show it's like i do a gambling show with jeff no one really cares how many winners we hit some people do and they'll be like you never win it's like guy that, that's not the purpose of the show people like hearing us talking about football and golf betting they like us hearing two guys talking about the odds we have a good rapport that's the more important part of a show and a broadcast then i mean if we were able to nail 100% of our picks, you know, that would be fantastic. If we were able to nail fucking 9% of our golf picks, that would be fucking amazing for the show instead of doing like 0.5% uh, over the course of 365 days. But it's all about one actionable information I think is really good, not necessarily analysis. There are some people that specialize in analysis. I look at someone like JJ, for example. Uh, JJ has a great show. Uh, a lot of the, you know, it's him just speaking. And uh, just having known JJ for so long, like we both started out around the same time. And I feel like we've been on a very similar career path. Like, you know, I ended up going with DraftKings. Once DFS sites started hiring people, he went with FanDuel. So we don't actually get to do anything together anymore, which is really disappointing because he was always one of my favorite guests to have on. Like in one of the 
one of my favorite people in the industry. But just look at juxtapose both of our shows next to each other and they're completely different but they're giving you information just completely stylized in a different way but we're both able to articulate what we want to articulate so someone's version of entertaining might be me someone's version of entertaining might be jj at the same time like there's no one path that you can go down uh and say oh it needs to be full laughs the entire time oh it needs to be like not necessarily straight serious information, but this is good information. It's shorter hitting. It's one person, uh, and it's really good analysis coming away with it too. Like you might listen to both, you might listen to one, you might not listen to any. But again, just looking at the very top of the charts when it comes to what people are actually listening to, CBS, ESPN, or you know, just they have that baked in, and they're both really good shows at the same time. Footballers. Then the next level down is basically me and JJ uh, in terms of what people tend to consume, like uh, Levy and Silva, ETR. Uh, I think that they're super highly rated. The Audible podcast is super high as well. There's other ones out there. I, I'm sure that I'm missing some because I'm not looking at the list right at this moment. But those tend to be the ones that are always up near the top. Did those give out the best advice? I would say that you know, a lot of them give out good advice. It's probably not the best advice. It's not. It's certainly not. They're not hosted or have guests with the very most winning people in the world in terms of fantasy football picks or bets or DFS, but they're the people that are the most engaging talking about it. Yeah, no. So, so that is, that is, I mean, that's basically the point is that these shows are personality driven, right? Matthew Barry on fantasy focus. Like people just love that guy. People love Silva and Levitan. People love, you know, the, the CBS guys, like people just enjoy the personalities. And that's, that's something that, that, uh, that I've, I mean, I've listened to so many podcasts over the years and the, the podcasts I enjoy the most are almost all personality driven where I just enjoy listening to the, the host or, or hosts talk. Like I just, I just enjoy the banner. I enjoy the way they relate to each other. Like the, like, in fact, the, the podcasts, honestly, that I am enjoying the most right now are not even, and I don't even, I don't even personally really listen to that many like picks type shows, like giving me specific fantasy football advice. I, I fantasy baseball podcasts are the ones I listen to where I, I could, uh, you know, if the, if the hosts are a little boring or whatever, like that's fine. I don't care that much, but, but by and large, I'm listening to like, you know, shows about media shows about soccer where it's just about the sport. And it's not about like giving, you know, picks against the spread or fantasy picks or whatever. And those are, those are all driven by strength of personality, strength of interaction between the hosts. And uh, yeah, I, I just think, I just think there is, there is kind of that, uh, divide between you know what people will what people will say to you on social media and the people who are just casually engaging with these shows uh, uh, silently most of the time you know I, so many of the people that listen to this show or listen to uh, the Pat Mayo experience I, I'll never hear from because they just passively engage in the show in a in an like almost like watching a TV program where you know you watch a TV show for five seasons or whatever and you never you never engage with the actors or the directors or the filmers in any way you just use passively uh in, enjoy the program and I, I think that's kind of where some of these institutional podcasts are getting to basically at this point yeah it, it's like a long-running sitcom it's like cheers or something like that i can i completely spaced uh tagliere in fantasy pros one of the highest 
rated ones as yeah. well. Uh, and like Mike is a great personality, and like the research that Mike does every single week is incredible. I uh, just uh, it's funny the column he writes. I think it's like twenty thousand words. I remember I used to write so many words. Yeah, I, he grinds. I used to write a fifteen thousand word column every single week, and just like it had to go by the wayside. I, I just could not do it anymore. Uh, and like the show that's it, it coincides almost immediately with the video show coming into my life, like doing the audio show. You know, if that was one thing, it was almost like a companion piece with the giant column that I'd write up every week. Although ever since I stopped writing that column, I'm significantly worse at fantasy football. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, because, because actually playing the game, actually, um, you know, actually grinding in, in all of these leagues, grinding in DFS, that is going to reward the minutia so much more. I mean, that is, that is, uh, you know, that's, that's verifiably true. Um, so it, it is, it's, it's just, it's just different things. And I, I enjoy, um, fantasy football podcasts, but like also, I guess, you know, the other thing is, and I, I bet you feel this too, is like, I can't engage with that much fantasy football content. Cause that's my job. Like I can't, I can't be spending, you know, 12 of my waking hours a day engaging with fantasy football. Like it's just, it's just too much. Yeah. In season, I rarely listen to anything. Um, that yeah, I would preseason is when I engage for yeah, sure. It's like when I like to check in, it's like when I listen to the footballers, it's mainly in the off season just because, you know, it's like, Oh, I didn't get to listen to them all year. I have my own stuff going on and I don't want to feel like I'm ever biting anyone's takes. If that's going to, if it's going to happen yeah. naturally, it happens naturally. Uh, I don't want to listen to them like, Oh, that's a really good point. I'm also going to say that point. Like that's just inevitable. If you are listening to exactly people in your industry talking about the same thing as you. That's going to get into your head. And even if you don't mean to do it, it's just going to be there. It's like, oh, that's a good nugget. I'll use that nugget. Uh, and then, you know, certain people are very, like, particular, like, well, I was the one who came up with that. And most people don't give a shit because who cares? It's all just kind of researched out there. But I just never want to fall into that trap. My bad takes are going to be my bad takes, but at least they're going to be mine. And I do release my content way before everyone else, so there's really no danger of any of that happening. Uh, maybe it could be a little bit better researched. I don't know. But, yeah, in season, most of the podcasts I listen to, I think we've discussed this before, where, like, I listen to a lot of basketball podcasts, despite the fact that I rarely watch any basketball. That's how I keep up with the NBA, because I just exactly. don't have time to watch it. But I like following it. I like the NBA. And I'll, you know, now with the playoffs coming along, I'll probably tune in a little bit more, especially if we get, like, Warriors-Lakers play-in game. I'm all in on that. Yeah, no, that, I mean that, and that, by the way, is something I think the NBA is totally cool with. They are they are totally cool with people interacting with their sport in you know non non conventional ways. Like uh, like because that's been a big story in basketball over the years is oh you know the the ratings are down are the ratings down because of super teams are the ratings down because of rest and and I honestly I think a big reason why the ratings are down are are because of people like you and people like me like I I probably watch I don't know on average I'll, I'll guess I watch two hours of basketball a week which sounds very low for someone who plays a lot of NBA DFS tweets a lot about the NBA but it's it's uh it's because I I listen to the low posts I listen to the starters um you know I listen to a lot of basketball podcasts I I keep up with it through like Top Shot and everything and Top Shot by the way another example of of the NBA caring way more about digital marketing and non-conventional ways to have people interact with the sport. And that's why they're not that stressed about ratings for sure. I can see that because 
it also allows you if you go completely digital and i mean it's hard for anyone to really measure that in terms of any sort of success really because we don't have accurate ways to measure any of this stuff you know what i mean like it's top shot market is one thing like how many people are actually interested in top shot you can see the lineups i don't know if those have gone up or down because it was never really my thing to begin with so i didn't really care but when, yeah. you, when you look at it, it's like, oh, this can be accessed by people in Poland. It could be accessed by people in Nigeria or in Turkmenistan, wherever it is. You, you open yourself up to the entire world that way. And we don't have the proper instruments to really measure the actual engagement with one thing. So, yeah, TV ratings might be down. It's a fucking COVID NBA shortened season where people don't seem like they're trying half the time. People will tune in for the playoffs. That's not going to be a problem. Yeah, no, no. Like, uh, yeah, especially, by the way, what do you think if if the Lakers are in the play-in game instead of the actual playoffs? What do you think the ratings are going to be for that game? Is that going to be the most-watched NBA game of the decade? Probably, I I would say. Like, there are the the NBA has a lot of outs. And and by the way, it's, it's not just an NBA problem in general. Ratings for every sport, everything. Uh, NBA rate or ratings for March Madness, ratings for the Masters, ratings for everything were way down compared to a- analogs from five years ago. Like that, that's just true across the board for all sports, uh, no doubt. Except for one sport. It, oh, golf. Yeah, golf is up, right? No, football was up last year, I think. Yeah, I guess, I guess that makes sense because football was. I mean, football football rules everything. I mean, we know that. Football football is the king. Right, but do you remember like two years ago, it's like, oh my God, NFL ratings are going down. They're down by 3%. It's like, yeah, it's still by far the most watched thing on TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It turns out, turns out all the people who said they were going to boycott the NFL didn't end up boycotting the NFL. One of the, one of the dumbest storylines of our time. But it's a storyline and it only makes a difference because it's the NFL. Like if it wasn't the NFL, if this was Correct. happening in hockey, no one would give a shit. Yeah, that that that's that's uh, that is that is a great point. Okay, I got a I got another uh, Canada versus U.S. question here. So a big thing that we are dealing with right now is <clears throat> there's this talking point that quote unquote no one wants to work, and what people are are meaning by that is that jobs paying you absolutely shit wages with with no benefits, right? So fast food jobs, food industry in general you know, man, manual labor, um, you know, a lot, a lot of things, low paying, high effort jobs or, or low pay, high exposure jobs where like you're inside, you know, poorly ventilated air for, uh, for, for long, for a long time. Um, people are, are, are having a hard time filling those positions because they're not adjusting their wages for inflation. And I'm wondering if this is, if this is a storyline in Canada as well. Well, I'm sort of confused by this entire thing. So, because I don't really understand how the stimulus package was rolled out in the United States. Like, I thought, like, back last year sometime, they gave everyone, like, 1400 bucks, And then sometimes this year, they gave everyone, like, 1400 bucks. Are they getting, like, 1400 bucks a week? Like, what's going on here? Uh, no, no. So, no one, no one is getting $1,400 a week. Un- unemployment benefits have been extended. 
Um, but there, there is a, a false narrative by people who have never applied for unemployment in the United States that it's very easy to get, that, uh, that you, you basically can just get it uh, and you can get it in perpetuity, that there are no requirements to continue getting it. And obviously, you know, th- these are our storylines dominated by people who have who've never tried to get unemployment. Now, unemployment is easier to get right now and, and stay on than it would have been, you know, two years ago or whatever because of the extension um, and, and some of the expansion of these benefits. But it's, it's not as if um, you can live some glorious, you know, welfare queen lifestyle based off of, uh, you know, based off of, of current, you know, uh, unemployment situations. Now, is it, yeah, I will, I will grant the point that it's easier right now to get unemployment, but the, the whole idea of this dichotomy of being like, oh, well, people just don't want to work. I mean, the answer is people don't want to work for $7.25 an hour with no no benefits, no health care, and uh, you know, potentially getting exposed to COVID. Because the, the industry that's been hit the hardest by this is you know, the food industry that survives on very thin margins and as a result, doesn't pay people any money. So I, I've been kind of through this before because like when i worked i was a dishwasher it was one of my very first jobs i think it was my first year in college yeah. uh and i wanted to you know work my way out to be a waiter get some nice tips on the go make some money i lasted like three months I was like dish washing dishes is the absolute nut low like i'm not doing this anymore uh but i i feel like and i don't know if it's different now so i it's really tough for me to speak on this because i don't really understand a lot of the difference between canada and the united states and even some of the canadian rules because i haven't worked in a restaurant in so long but i think that Wait staff, bar staff in Canadian places, like you get like the legitimate minimum wage plus tips. Now I plus feel like tips. I feel like that's not the case in the states, where if you work in a restaurant, they can pay you like a buck an hour, and everything you make is tips, isn't it? Or do do I have it's, that? It's right? uh, it's no, it's it's two dollars and fifty cents an hour if you get tips. That's okay. that's uh, and that's what they pay you. Okay. So I can see why that would be not a, not a lot of money. Two dollars, two dollars and fifty cents an hour is not a lot of money. No, but if you worked in a place that was extreme, I, I can see the logic behind that on paper to begin with. That if you work in a place that is extremely busy, you're going to make. If we had to pay you thirteen dollars an hour as a minimum wage for the eight hours that you're working there, plus you got tips in a busy place, like you might be making like 60 bucks an hour or something like that. And that would really hurt the bottom line of these restaurants. The The stories that I keep seeing, though, are, you know, we can't get people to work at this place, and now we're going at a business. Well, was your business profitable to begin with? Like, were you only surviving that you could pay people $2 an hour to work for you? Or... Do you just not want to pay people more and you're closing like this is like your huff and puff that you're closing your doors? I don't really know, but I, I can see. I mean, I kind of get both sides of it, uh, but I don't really know the economics behind it. Like, are people really surviving that much off like unemployment here? Like, I think you get the CERB uh, if you've been put out of work off because of COVID, but it's not that much. I think it's like in Canadian dollars, I think it's like $2,000 a month, $2,200 a month, something like that. Like, it's a lot of people would say that's not even enough to survive. It's far more livable uh, where I'm currently at than where I was in Toronto, put it that way, uh, in terms of what things actually cost, especially rent. But are people really saying like, oh, I'm not going to work anymore because I have this $2,200 a month? Like, maybe. Well, that is, that's that's the narrative in the States is that whatever the equivalent of the, the 200 or the $2,000 a month is causing people to not want to work here, which... 
seems uh, non-genuine to me, given that unemployment rates are are fairly low in the United States. Like a lot of a lot of like our our number of you know able-bodied adults who are working is very high. Um, I, I think the most recent unemployment was like five and a half percent or something in uh in the states, which is pretty low. So I I think it's a false narrative, and I think it's it's getting pushed because businesses that people are used to interfacing with, which is restaurants. People are seeing a lot of help wanted signs at restaurants. Um, you know, service at, at these restaurants has, has not been great for some people because the amount, like those are the places that, because those businesses do actually exist on like, if you go to a family owned or locally owned or small chain or whatever restaurant, the, the margins that those businesses exist on are, I mean, you wouldn't even believe how fine the margins are, which, you know, I don't know that it's, it's, it, I, I would certainly never want to be the owner of a, you know, a small deli or something or whatever with, with the margins that, uh, that those businesses incur. Uh, April, 2021 U S unemployment is 6.1% at the moment. And I think of a lot of it has to do is the cost benefit of a lot of these workers looking at the situation and be like, Oh, and I, like I said, I don't know what the unemployment is. Let's just is $1,800 American a month. Sound about right. Yeah, uh, let, let me I'll, I'll let me see if I can even find um, better. But that's that sounds about right. Yeah, which isn't a ton of money, obviously. Uh, but depending on where you live, you can stretch that. If you live in, I don't know, San Francisco, not going to do you too good. If you live in, I mean, I'm just throwing this out here. I assume rural Alabama. Maybe you're doing a little bit better with that two thousand dollars so, than you than you would be on Market that's Street. A, yeah, that's another that's another great point is in in a city, especially a big American city, you know, New York, L.A., some, you know, think Chicago, things like that. Uh, your unemployment benefits are going to do you far less than they would do in, you know, if you lived in if you lived in bumfuck Missouri, like even even St. Louis, you could you could you could you could have a, you know, a, a non horrible living situation in life on, you know, thirty thousand dollars a year or whatever. Yeah, whereas in let's say even somewhere like Toronto, if you made thirty thousand dollars a year, like you are absolutely scraping by just because of the cost, how much it costs to live in that city. Where you know the average for a one, I don't even think I think it's like a bachelor, but let's just call it a one bedroom apartment in Toronto. And rates have gone down. I was looking at this yesterday. I think the average one bedroom, not even plus ten, just one bedroom like six hundred square foot apartment is like twenty one hundred bucks a month. Right. Yeah. Uh, there, the, so I, this is another thing I wanted to bring up today. So there was this, um, uh, I don't remember if it was a mayoral debate or, or what there was, but there was this examination of New York politicians that happened yesterday where they were on like a Zoom call and being, you know, there was like a debate and questions and they asked these politicians what they thought an average home, the median home cost in Brooklyn, New York would have been. And the median, a bunch uh, of the can, politicians. Can I, can I try to guess? Yes, yes, because I know the answer. Okay, now when we say home, do we mean a house or do we mean condos plus? So, so that's that's all encompassing. So that is that is condos, that is houses, that is brownstones. That's just all all encompassing the median price that someone in Brooklyn, New York, pays to live somewhere that they own, not not renting, but to own. The median price and median is an average, right? Median is like just the twenty percent in the middle, basically. Yes, I'm gonna say nine hundred k. 900k on the dot you are you are exactly oh. correct these some of these politicians were guessing one of them guessed eighty thousand dollars pat eighty thousand dollars 
And, and, and so then that got me thinking, well, you know, politicians are not the only ones that are out of touch. Politicians are um, representative of the media, of the, you know, of the news they read, they're representative of the aides they speak with, of the, of the circles that they mingle in. And I realized that a lot of the people having these conversations about unemployment and publishing these articles about, oh, you know, no one wants to work, this place can't find work. It just, it just leads me to believe that they're that truly the, the, you know, the, the liberal elite and the ruling class, they are, they are so like, they are, they're the Jessica Walter scene of how much can a banana cost? $10 from Arrested Development. Like they are, they are the living embodiment of that meme. I can most definitely see that. And just, I don't have the stark juxtaposition as of yet between moving from downtown Toronto to where I'm back from now. But like, oh, when you live in that sort of spot, you're kind of around like well-to-dos. Like everyone kind of has money at that point because if you didn't you wouldn't be able to live there where i'm now back in a place where obviously like the average income per household is far less the households cost far less but this is where i'm from so i'm used to it around here but people just seem fucking way happier here (laughs) yeah i mean that's that's kind of like kind of the dirty little secret is that uh living in big cities kind of sucks right it does like that that's kind of that here's why it's good because if you have the money to afford it it's amazing everything is at your fingertip you can have the you can have the best food you can go see the best shows and like you don't get like put it this way when uh the book of mormon comes to halifax we're getting like the the Q list. I should probably shouldn't use Q because people might the R list. We're not even getting like B list, C list type actors in it. We're getting like Z list. That that's how many other places it's been before you can hire people to come here. When I see it in Toronto, it goes from Broadway to Toronto. Maybe it goes to L.A. first, or maybe it goes to Toronto and L.A. Like there is, if in terms of like not necessarily culture, because there's culture everywhere, and each different location is going to have its own culture that's unique to that place. However, when you're talking about like the major events worldwide, living in a major world class city uh, has its certain perks if you're into that kind of thing. If you're and like you know if you're a big financial person and you're a stock trader in Canada or you're even at the highest end of business, you had to be on Bay Street. That's our version of Wall Street. Like that's just where you go to go do these things and make all the money. All the HQs for the biggest corporations are in Toronto. Uh, So if you are higher ups at one of these places where you're working for like KPMG and making a lot of money, chances are you live in Toronto. Um, And it just seems like, hey, that's diversifying a little bit because a lot of people are working out of office now. Like, I just see the reason that they implemented this quarantine where I'm at the 14 day quarantine from moving outside of province because so many fucking people are moving back to Halifax because everyone left everyone who wanted to go off and you know advance their careers does not to say that you couldn't do that here but it's very it's very limited scope of the types of fields that you'd be able to get to the top of if you stayed in Halifax over the past 50 years. Whereas now that all the people who had moved to Toronto, moved to Vancouver, moved to the United States, moved to Montreal in order to rise to the top of their fields, they can now do this work remotely. And everyone has decided, fuck it, we're moving back to Halifax. (laughs) Yeah, because you're you during during this period, you have gotten none of the benefits of living in a big city. Right. It's all it's all gone. It's twofold. You have none of the benefits of living in the big city. The big city is the big cities are all just by and large more infected than everywhere else, uh, just because there's such a high concentration people of are, people. Well, and people are in closer quarters, yeah. Yeah, and it's just there's there's more people and everyone lives, you know, space per capita is much smaller than it is almost everywhere else outside of a gigantic urban city. And the rest of the world caught up to being able to work from home or remotely that I, if you're... 
I don't know, the senior vice president at KPMG and you do and basically your one task in the office is a once a week meeting. Well, you could fly back in for your once a week meeting, change it to a once a month meeting or just fucking do it virtually because all these boomers know how to use Zoom now. Yeah, I mean, I, which is the case for me. I have never lived in the same city as my employer, right? I, I, my, one of my employers was in Canada. My employer now is in New York. Like I, it, I, I'm, it's not even close. And it's, it, there used to be small difficulties with that. There used to be things like, oh, you know, should be here for X, Y, and Z. And now, um, uh, that's all removed. Like basically any barrier to working remotely, especially in our industry is, is completely removed. Everyone we're doing TV shows from home where all, all meetings are taking place, you know, once a week, uh, virtually, like it's all, all, all barriers to working remote now have basically been removed for someone like me. Like I could go back. I, I was, uh, I went and looked at the, the Zillow price of my, of my childhood home compared to what I just paid for a home of a, of a similar, uh, a similar size here in St. Louis. And like, I was like, should I could go live like an absolute king in the town I grew up in. I could I could live in a you know the Salina Kansas version of a mansion for what I just paid for for a house here, which I I would not want to do because that's a little bit too small. But uh, yeah, there there is definitely something very appealing about moving away from your gigantic metropolitan areas. Yeah, so leaving a city with six million people and downgrading to a city that has like four hundred and fifty k five hundred thousand people is I'm really probably not going to notice that big of a difference. To tell you the truth. Yeah, I mean, because you, like what you I mean, what are what are like classic um, big city things that you that you would engage in, like going, I don't know, going going to bars, like, you know, ordering, ordering Postmates, things like that. Like you, you can certainly still get that in Halifax, right? Like, were you were you a, are you a big concert guy? Uh, not I mean, having the two kids over the past two years, like we weren't doing anything anyway. So all the stuff that I did in my late twenties and early thirties, I just wasn't doing anymore. I don't have the time to do it. I need to be home watching the kids kind of thing. And that was the other thing too, that, you know, between my wife and I, we had two kids in a 900 square foot condo in downtown Toronto. Now we moved to a 4,000 square foot house that is less than the cost of that condo. So we have a lot more space in that regard. So we actually feel like more at home here. The kids seem to like it a lot more, but like things like going to Raptors games, going to Jays games, uh, going to concerts, eating at like super high-end restaurants. No, I'm not going to get a chance to do that anymore because the availability, but it's not like I've been able to do that anytime over the past two, three years anyway. So what's the fucking difference? Right. I mean, yeah, you, you are making, you are making the case for, city flight essentially also um i i'm actually i'm actually very curious about this as well is are people talking about inflation in canada right now uh i i don't know i assume many many canadian dollars have been printed by the canadian federal reserve but again you know i'm viewing all of these things through the lens of the united states is this, is this a topic of conversation amongst canadians not that any that I talk to. The only thing I'm concerned about is the price of the Canadian dollar. And because uh, I get paid in American money. So when the dollar at the last March. With the oh, pan- you got to be getting crushed. I am getting fucking hammered. And it's not like the U.S. Yeah. dollar is doing poorly against a lot of currencies. It's just the Canadian dollar at the moment because there's like oil shortages all across the world. And any time that oil becomes expensive, the Canadian dollar goes through the roof because we have so much fucking oil. Uh, and it's just <laughs> Canada prints money whenever there's an oil shortage in the world. So right now, the Canadian dollar is trading at 1.21 
U.S. dollars. That is a four-year low uh, for me because I want the Canadian dollar to be like 1.45 U.S. dollars. Like, it's costing me a lot of money. Yeah, you, uh, you, hey, this is a, this would be a great use case for you to get paid in crypto, Pat. Potentially so, but uh, how is crypto doing? Uh, whenever my Twitter timeline isn't just like Bitcoin to the moon, I assume everyone's losing money. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's all it's all up right now. One one Bitcoin right now is worth uh, fifty six thousand six hundred and fifty four dollars, and one uh, Ether token is worth four thousand three hundred and forty six dollars right now. Oh, that's good because I always thought that like crypto people were like DFS touts and, and gambling touts, and whenever it's up, you hear about it. Whenever it's down, you never hear about it. Yeah, no, I mean it. It uh, it it, cra- it actually did it crash yesterday um, a little bit. Uh, it was down. Uh, Bitcoin was down at like fifty three thousand dollars, and Ethereum was down at like thirty eight hundred dollars for a little bit yesterday. But you know what? What? Uh, what can you do? I suppose, but uh, yeah, I mean, you that uh, that you I I getting paid in U.S. dollars right now. Holding U.S. dollars is is terrifying because we are at the 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 American economy is definitely headed for for gigantic and uh, disastrous levels of um, you know inflation. It's it's pretty bad. Yeah, we'll see though. I think that it would be one thing if the U.S. was the only country in the world printing a whole bunch of money, but every basically industrialized yeah, nation in the it. world has done exactly the same thing. So it seems like it would all be equal once everyone gets back to work. And it does seem like the U.S. is where they didn't care so much about COVID regulations anyway. Plus, the vaccine rollout has been surprisingly really good so far. It does seem like the U.S. is going to be up and running at full capacity far before a lot of the other, like between Canada, like the G7 countries, essentially, or the G9 now. Anyway, between Germany, Canada, the United Kingdom, France, Italy, all these places, that the U.S. will be up and running beforehand. So I'm just holding American dollars right now. Like, I'm not converting it over so i'm sitting with my u.s funds account being like come on go back up like i have a i have a number i wanted to get back to um but just right. it, it's just taken such a fucking hit that and my DraftKings stock oh my god i've lost so much money <laughs> not that it was yeah not, yeah not that it was what are money. they what are they doing to you they're not they're not looking out for you pat what's the deal it's okay though because you know, i as a part of my initial deal they probably, I, I don't know if they want, uh, if they would do it again, because I mean, I didn't get it as a part of my second go, but they were a private company when I first signed with them with the anticipation. I was like, they're probably going to go public at some point. They're going to get gambling at some point. How about I just sign up for a whole bunch of these, uh, like these shares if they ever do go public. So I just got gifted a whole bunch of shares at the conclusion of my contract. So I didn't actually pay anything for them, but put it this way. They were worth about double what they were worth three. Today, they're worth about half what they were six weeks ago, which is not great when you're counting the money being like, oh, Oh, this is great. And then I was convert, and at the time, three months ago, I was like, "Oh, these are U.S. shares, so they're worth this much. I have this money, and now I'll convert them into Canadian." Like, okay, here we go. And now it's just like everything's take just shit on my chest. Yeah. So I I apparently got very lucky because during the whole GameStop thing, I I shut down my Robinhood account. I sold I sold all the stocks that I had and uh, transitioned them to wealth front which means i i came close to selling the absolute top of uh of DraftKings because I, I think it was in february when all of that was happening so i i apparently i apparently got very lucky with uh with the DraftKings stock so yeah uh, good for me i suppose well i saw the earnings report came out and they did a bunch more revenue like if there is such 
a huge thing about acquiring all these customers and spend, 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 spend. I mean, I would have to assume that there's the long play on this. And I actually have a show coming out. I talked to Dustin Gauker about the legalization of sports betting and where sort of the business is going at this point. I, I don't know when I'm going to release it because I have just too many shows in the can. I, have to, I, I recorded way too many shows before I left Toronto. I did not expect to be set up so quickly here. But, um, you know, it, it's all about when you acquire these customers. Yeah, they play DFS. Yeah, they play sports. But the real money is going to be made when these people just start playing online slots. Yeah, slots, casino, online blackjack, all that stuff. Yeah, no no doubt about it. So we haven't even scraped the surface about what any of this is worth. And if people are like paranoid about like their DraftKings stock right now, not that I'm an expert on it because I was hoping it would never go down. Apparently that's not how the stock market works. But until we see a complete open up of California, Texas, and New York, just fucking hold on to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't, uh, I don't know. I can't I can't imagine wanting to sell anything that is down right now, given that it feels like we are basically in a permanent bull market until these federal reserves across the world stop creating, you know, an infinite amount of dollars, basically. Let's see here. The one stock that I gave you is up eight dollars from when we talked about it at that time. That was the Canadian airline. Yeah. Pat Mayo, this Pat Mayo, the stock tout. Did you ever think you'd end up here? I, I didn't think so. It's the only stock I've ever bought in my entire life. Like I think, like I have a financial guy who like takes money and buys like mutual funds or something. I don't know what the fuck it is. He tells me it goes up like six and a half percent a year. Then he sends me a report and it's like, oh no, it was down. It's like, oh, thanks, th- down, bro. It's like th- thanks for that. That that's really working wonders for me. But actual like money that I took to go buy a stock. This is the only stock that I've ever bought in my entire life. Because so I was just like, this only is logical that it will go up from this price point, considering it was trading at like 50 bucks before the pandemic happened. And the fact that it's up so much is great, and Canada's not even opened up yet for air travel. So when that actually happens, I think we're going to be good. Are you, uh, are you wanting to take a vacation uh, once, you, once you have gotten vaccinated? I mean, I would go on vacation. I would go on vacation right now. I don't give a shit. I just want to go somewhere that's not. Yeah. I mean, this is sort of a vacation. I just move cities, but like somewhere where I can go have a few drinks, go to a different country, go see something. I really do. I like traveling and I miss traveling. Uh, And just it, it's just so weird because I've spent so much money in the past, like three months, you know, buying a house and so forth. And you always forget, man, furnishing a house. Comes at a pretty so penny. So fucking expensive. It, it's fucking yeah. horrible. And like, I talked to my wife. She's like, uh, be- before we moved, you know, like we just don't have enough furniture to fill this house. Like we had to get a new bed, new bed in the spare bedroom uh, for like the guest bedroom. We have another guest bedroom that we'll eventually have to get a because Paul's living with us right now. Uh, so we had to get a bed for him and like sheets and all that stuff. And she asked me, she's like, what do you think it costs to furnish a house? I was like, I don't know, 10 grand. Like, no, I was, I probably, I, I was like the New York politician who thought, thought that houses cost yep. 80 grand. Uh, I was nowhere near that number. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, but because lumber is so expensive right now and because shipping stuff is very expensive and very difficult right now, that like adds on to how expensive it is. Like I'm looking at I'm looking at furnishing this new house and it's like, oh yeah, this sectional you want that's uh, 80% inflated anyways. Also, it's going to cost you $300 to ship it and also we can't get it to you for three months. Like it's it's absurd right now. Yeah, I mean, maybe this is the new norm. Maybe this is why I, you know, People need to start paying people a little bit more because everything costs so goddamn much at the moment. 
Yes, that that is that is uh that is in fact the answer. But uh, good good luck getting people to agree to that. I mean, as a business owner, I get not wanting to pay people. It's just more sure. money. It's yeah, just, I mean, it's, it's more money for it's, me. It's, it's more money for you. Yeah, I mean, look, I I get the motivations and incentives. Um, I get the motivations and the incentives from from all sides, but it's just like I'm I'm always gonna I'm always gonna side with the labor. I mean, historically, because I've I've been labor in my life and don't have that much experience on on the other side of the token. Sure, and I have too. That's why I try to compensate the people that work for me at. You know, better than market rate, to be perfectly honest with you, especially for the specialized skills like editing and producing and things like that. Just it's so hard to find good people to do these things that I want to make sure that if they're good, I keep them around. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that should be that should be incentive for all employers. Right. Is you want to first of all, you want to generate, you know, foster positive relationships between, uh, you know, between labor and between ownership. And you also would like to uh, keep your employees gainfully employed. You don't, because if you pay pe- if you pay good people shitty wages, they will leave you. They will go. They will go to somewhere that compensates them more appropriately. And it it's going to cost you more money and time and hassle to to retrain and hire and figure out a new thing. Yeah, it, it all comes back down to that thing that we talked about at the very beginning. Is that why do why does nepotism and not even just nepotism in terms of the fact that you know you're hiring a you know your nephew or something like that. But when I reach out to the same people over and over to do the same sorts of hosting jobs or editing jobs, it's because I know that they can do it. I know their experience. I don't like you can read someone's resume and look at it and be like, oh, they sound greatly qualified. But I've done that a bunch of times. I've hired, not necessarily hired the person. Be like, hey, can you do this? Because I try to give out like a five, 10 minute test uh, when it comes to editing. Like we just kind of share a, a screen on Zoom. So, you know, you can lie on your resume all you want. You can't lie to my Zoom screen when I need you to edit a five minute video. You know, that's that's part of it. Like you need to be able to do that or you can't have the job. No matter how much you say that you can do it, I need to be able to see that you can do it before I can give you the job of actually doing it. And then when I can just go, you know, being like, hey, Steve, uh, I need you to edit a five. I need you to edit this 10 minute video. I need these graphics to be made. I know going in that they can do it. Here's what I'm going to pay you to do it. And they're like, fine, you know, I can do that. And I know that I'm going to get the results that I'm looking for because I have experience with that. So it's it's tough to kind of parse through, but I would like to try to break that trend. I, I mean, one of the reasons of starting Mayo Media Network was to give new voices an opportunity to be heard, and I don't want to fall into a trap of giving the same old voices an opportunity to be heard. I, I really do want to kind of live by that, but you know, when I'm doing my show and I'm trying to you know get sponsors, I'm trying to sell ads that. I kind of defaulted to the path of least resistance of going with the people that I know, not taking any chances. And I think I want to break out of that. Yeah. I mean that, well, that's like, that's, that's natural, right? That's just a very, it's anytime you're, anytime you are starting something new, doing something different, you are looking to be as frictionless as possible. I mean, that's just in, in everything. I mean, even in your day-to-day life, people, people prefer inertia to everything else, right? Like that, that's just true. People are, people are scared of change. People are scared of making mistakes. People are, are that like, that's just a very natural human response. So I don't, I don't think that's unique to you at all. No, but it's so counter to what I did almost basically my entire life where, especially in my professional career, at least, like you talked about moving and how shitty it is to move. And the reason that I splurged and bought movers and packers, like I moved fucking 17 to 20 times between five cities and two countries over the course of like seven years. 
I had my entire yeah. life in a fucking like, everything that I couldn't put into a gigantic hockey bag in my one suitcase in my backpack. Like it got thrown in the trash. I just when you move that often, that's what it's going to come down to. And like this time, you know, I have a wife, I have two kids, I have furniture, I have things now. I was just like, fuck it. Like I want to make sure it all comes with us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. You are. You're definitely correct. Uh, any any um, great media you've been you've been engaged with recently that you want to you want to shill to the people or 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 wanted to talk about i i'm very excited to uh eventually do more of these uh gambling movie clubs with you i i really enjoyed owning mahoney i I, i'm people the response to it obviously it's not the highest rated show going uh in terms of the pat mayo experience but the people it's almost like this show the people who watched it and enjoyed it really seemed to like it Yes. Yeah. Which I, which I think they should. First off, Pete is great on, on, uh, on all shows, but, uh, well, it, it's yeah, fun- I mean, I, it, it's funny that you mentioned Pete because Pete was the one that I was actually, uh, going to reach out to about this fantasy football show. I was like, Hey, if I can like afford to pay him like a good rate, like I would love to have Pete on the network in some capacity. I know he does his own thing and he's off. I think he's working with underdog. Now he has so much on the go that, you know, it would probably take you know, a good number to get him to come over and host a show once or twice a week, but just his vibe, his personality, it, it's hard to find people like that. And if you have one, yeah, he's out there, the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pete's the best. Um, I, I do. I do. Eventually, I've wanted to do a rounders podcast for the entire existence of the Tate Cast, obviously. And so, I think we we eventually we need to do that. Me, you, and we got it. We got to have a, a good third guy. Which I obviously I know there's there's got to be at least twenty rounders podcasts that have been done. But it is that I it's that's still my favorite gambling movie. I think that's the whole point of not doing rounders right not doing rounders yeah is just everyone has done rounders in the past that that's why i wanted to go with owning mahoney it was just a movie that people hadn't seen that i really liked and i felt like that was a more realistic depiction of gambling than gambling yeah yeah uh the the one the one that uh our our guy chris traub shilled to us the other day the croupier with clive owen that one that one is great and i would uh whenever whenever you do that one i i want to be on that one too like i said it's on the list it's just way down on the list i like croupier yeah it was i think it was the first what did i see with clive owen then i went back i remember going to blockbuster and renting croupier because i was like oh clive owen's in this movie i've never even heard of this this was like 25 i had the same experience the first time i watched inside man because I was like, I just want to see everything that dude has been in. Was it? I think it was Children of Men that I saw him in. Was that the first like big thing? Maybe it was closer. I'm trying to think. I'm, about- I'm reading. I'm I'm reading his. Uh, I'm reading his wiki right now, uh, and he he received critical acclaim for Close My Eyes, a movie I've never seen. Yeah, I've never heard of that either. I'm trying to think. What, Croupier came out in like what ninety nine? I want to say nine ninety eight. Closed my eyes ninety one. Inside Man two thousand six. Okay, so uh, I, Children I, Children of Men two thousand six. So I was a big Oscar snob uh, when I, I loved movies when I was in high school. So I would go. Me and my buddy Patterson would just go see like every Oscar movie that came out. And I remember going to see Gosford Park, which was the Julian Fellows like British Mansion style show. It was like huge award buzz that year and he was the guy who eventually ended up creating downton abbey and it's basically the same thing it's just a movie he was in that and then he was in the born identity 
that's where I remember seeing him. And then like, you know, yeah. he, then he was in Closer, which I really liked, the Mike Nichols movie, and then Sin City. So around that time, I was like, fuck, man, I like Clive Owen. Let's go back and check out this guy's catalog. And you know, Croupier was the only thing that I could find. That and Greenfingers were the two things that I found. So I really like Croupier because I was interested in gambling anyway. You know what the best Clive Owen? I mean, Children of Men is by far the best Clive Owen movie. It's not even close. I like Inside Man, but Children of Men is... How is Inside... I've never, I've never seen Children of Men, but then, how then, is Inside Man not the best? Then, I would just recommend go watch Children of Men and you'll know why okay Ch- all right children- i will i will i will it's on the list children of men is probably what it's one of i would like if i was just to not say like necessarily my favorite movies of you know from 2000 on if we were just talking about best movies from 2000 on uh, i would say it's probably inside the top 10 yeah it, it's, okay it's, it's not it's I'm, not, I'm it's I'm not a it's not a oh man children of men's halfway through let's click it on and have a good time not one of those movies inside man is that movie you can turn on inside man at any point and it's a fucking time it's great yeah literally i mean literally at any point you you put it on and it's it's fantastic what do you think the movie you've watched the most in your life is probably happy gilmore happy gilmore i've just, only seen happy gilmore one time oh my name is happy gilmore and I love hockey. Yeah, I love. I, I mean, Happy Gilmore is a, a good movie. I, I probably one of the Star Wars movies is one, or or um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Actually, I've probably seen like twenty times. What else? I just I watched Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore so much as a kid. I think they would just be up there. I think as an adult, I've probably seen Boogie Nights the most. I've seen I've seen Boogie Nights a couple times. I the ones the ones that I watch the most are the ones that you just see on cable. The ones that you're flipping around channels and because I I'm I I think I'm the only person under thirty in the world that still pays for cable. Uh, I still have I guess I'm not under thirty, but I pay for cable now too. The internet here is so fast; it's amazing. I I couldn't believe it. Every apparently Halifax is like fiber ops all throughout the city. That it just the internet fucking flies. It's awesome. Did you not have fiber in uh, in Toronto? I had fiber at the office, but where I lived in Toronto didn't have actual fiber ops. Like it wasn't just up to that part of the city, just because they're fucking slow as shit up there. Um, and the company that I used for the office to have the fast internet was like a private internet company with their own servers. Yeah, it wasn't one of the big ones. And the big ones in my area, I, I had the fastest internet possible, and it fucking sucked. The Clive Owen movie you should watch, by the way, that I saw in theaters that is the most like a cartoon of any movie I think I've ever seen that is live action is Shoot 'Em Up. Shoot 'Em Up is a blast. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I love Clive Owen movies, so I will, I will, uh, I will watch that one. I will watch that one as well. The, the most recent thing I watched that actually impacted me, there's a, there is a great James Cameron directed whale documentary on Disney plus, uh, which it's just a good last thing of the day, like chill out, uh, uh, document. I, I enjoy documentaries in general anyway. Um, that I, that I just I just found fascinating. I would I would recommend that one to people. The Challenge All Stars on Paramount Plus is amazing. It's the best season of The Challenge in like ten years, and no one's watching it because it's on Paramount Plus. I I have Paramount Plus so that I can watch soccer. Um, so I I have it. I've literally I've never watched an episode of any reality TV that ever aired on on MTV. Oh, you you should check out Challenge All Stars. It's they basically brought back the people from like. 15 20 years ago to be on this show and like it's so different now 
when they cast, like, I'm just talking, I mean, I love the challenge. I've always loved it. So, but you can just see just a big distinction between the types of people that they have on the show now versus the people that they used to have. Because now it's like, all these reality people have casting, like they have agents, the agents get them on these shows. People come from Amazing Race and Big Brother and Survivor and, you know, Geordie Shore and stuff in the UK. And like, there's someone from Survivor Romania, I think, on the new season. Like, they're all great to look at. They all have huge social followings. But they're not like good TV characters by any stretch. The British guys, uh, the British guys and gals, the, the guys in the birds, they're not so bad because British reality TV is like hilarious versus American stuff. But you watch these like older people and they're not so much different than they were 15, 20 years ago. Like obviously they look a little bit older. They're not as insane, but it felt like when you cast reality TV 25 years ago for the real world or even road rules at that point like you were looking for compelling people to put on these shows not just who has an eight pack yeah uh i mean i i guess i well what's what what do you think has changed then i i think it's the process of oh if i take this like because they had one woman from amazing race on the challenge like two years ago. And I think she was out first episode of Amazing Race, but she has a huge social following. Super hot too, by the way. And they're like, oh, if we put this person from the Amazing Race on our show, we'll get all of her social media following to tune into at least one episode. Maybe we will you know, retain 0.5 or 1% of them. And that's a huge boost to our audience. And maybe we can say that we have Amazing Race people on our show. Amazing Race people might watch our show all of a sudden, rather than going out and getting someone who's an actual compelling TV character. Yeah, I mean that that people like to people like to see what attractive people are doing. That's a that's a good that's a good rule of that's a good rule of thumb. I I have one last thing. Exit scam. It's a it's a true crime documentary podcast about a guy from Toronto actually, a guy who ran a Bitcoin exchange and may or may have not faked his own death to steal all of the funds on the said uh, Toronto Ian Bitcoin exchange. It's, it's an incredible, it's an incredible story. It's done by a guy who's been on this show before Aaron Lammer. And, uh, I I'm through two episodes right now and it's amazing. So he's the Canadian DB Cooper. Yes, literally. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's a, it's an absolutely unbelievable story. All right. So what's it called again? Exit scam. If you, if you search for it on, you know, wherever you find podcasts, you, you can find it. Um, it's it's yeah I, you you it would actually be i think you'd be i think you'd be really into it because it's got a it's got a good canadian uh bend to it all right do you have any more canada style questions before i get out of here uh no no i mean the the main thing i was interested in was the was the inflationary stuff and the job stuff between the two because it's it's i mean that is the number one story going on and and on on my timeline these days for sure yeah like i said i've been kind of out of it because we've been building this studio and at first we i had it set up in a different room we could not control the echo whatsoever so we had to move into a smaller room that is now soundproof so hopefully i sound a little bit better coming through the mic how do i sound to you coming through the mic I mean, you sound you sound great to me, so I, I hope that the listeners have the same experience. Yeah, I hope so, too, and especially because I can treat the audio after the fact. I'm really close to the camera now, though, in the studio. I'm used to having it, like, across the room, zooming it in. So, like, when I lean forward a little bit, it looks like I'm my head is fucking gigantic, and I have a really tiny head. Uh, so it's at least making me look like I have Vincent Chase syndrome with, you know, gigantic head, big fucking head. And, you know, that, that play is the big head. 
people people love people love the big heads yeah i mean it's it's funny it's just uh, it's very it's been very interesting to see you go through the studio process in uh in halifax from from afar uh, i i'm gonna have to do i'm gonna have to do the same thing when i move i'm i'm hoping to get um uh, a sit stand desk and also i i I've had the same office chair forever and I want to get one of those fancy uh, Henry Miller, Herman Miller, I don't know, crazy nice desk chairs eventually as well. Oh, neat. I'll be looking forward to looking for that on your videos when I check it out. I'm trying to find out what I want as the perfect chair. I'm actually in the process. I'm trying to buy another house and convert that into Mayo Media headquarters where I can build a giant set. Like, you know, I'll like to have this one at home if I just want to, you know, fuck around and talk to you and have a microphone at home so I don't have to go into the office. But I do, it's funny because you were talking about that there are people that are going back into the office now. I miss going, it's been two weeks. I miss going to my fucking office. Like, I don't, Yeah. my, my work in particular I'm not a ton on the show like I am off the show. And I think a lot of people are like that. Like there's a performance yeah. version of you. It's not like I'm, you know, faking my personality. It's just when you're a, when the camera is on, when you're trying to be entertaining, you're just a bit of a different personality. Uh, my personality on air is a bit more like my real life personality after I've had three drinks, put it that way. Not when I'm just randomly sitting at home doing nothing, where I usually am not talking a whole bunch of on my phone or working on something, watching TV, whatever it might be. I'm just not that big of a talker uh, as it goes along. When I'm out public, I am. But there's a mentality from working from home that I'm, maybe it's just because it's been such a short window so far that I'm not used to it. And I haven't really recorded at home in, fuck, 10 years or so. I've always kind of gone into somewhere that, you know, taking my real life, like chill being at home mode and transferring it over to like, Hey, I need energy. Hey, I need to be looking into the camera. I need to be smiling. Like, you know, I need to be moving my hands around like a maniac. Like that mentality has been tough to get into so far, just working from home. And like when I would go into the office, like it was sort of like a trigger, like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm good to go now. I'm in the studio. This is what I do when I'm in the studio. I'm just finding it difficult to parse right now. Well, yeah, and and because leaving your house anyway, you begin to become a little bit more performative. You are you are definitely a, a different person in general once you leave your house. Once you start to interact with with other people, than you are simply just being with yourself. Like like there there's a transition period of okay, this is the person I am in a social setting, and then you know the the person you are on camera is like a a, for a little bit further extension of that. I think. All right. I think that sounds about right. Are you are you yeah. one of the people who's pissed that Tebow is back in the NFL potentially? No, because I, I I well obviously I find everything that Tim Tebow represents like off the field I just find it to be incredibly corny and and not helpful to anyone. I actually always kind of liked Tebow the football player, so I'm I'm not really that mad about it. Yeah, neither am I. I don't get why people are so mad. And they make this weird comparison, just like, well, Kaepernick couldn't get a second shot. Why does Tebow get a second shot? I get that comparison, but I don't feel like it's the same thing. Um, I mean, I certainly I feel like it's very similar. Tebow, Tebow couldn't play anymore because he was a, a distraction and he was not any good. Yeah, he wasn't Kaepernick, good. And Yeah, Kaepernick was still fine enough to be, even if you said, didn't say he was a starter, certainly when he no longer played, he was one of the best. 90 quarterbacks in the world um 
but it, it was a very similar dichotomy and all, all the things that came along with them was not the juice was not worth the squeeze no and Kaepernick would have made a very serviceable backup quarterback at least for the few years past when he was blackballed but I mean sure. Tebow lost out on both that he would have been like sort of a media headache which is not really his fault it's the media's fault that they were enamored with tim tebow and the fact that he wasn't any well T- tebow courted it for sure oh for you i mean yes but people try to court the media a ton of times and it doesn't work out the media loves i'm, I'm not tim holding tebow. anything against either one of them i'm i'm not annoyed with tebow but i i am not annoyed with tebow the same way i'm not annoyed with with kaepernick basically me too but i i feel like the comparison that people are making right now is that like oh tebow gets a fifth shot at coming back to to the nfl like he was signed as a fucking like h back like He's not being a quarterback because he can't fucking play quarterback. You know what I mean? He had to go play baseball because he wasn't good enough at quarterback. That got him out of the league, plus him being a distraction. At least people still felt, at least I think, the consensus was that Kaepernick could still kind of play. It's just it wasn't worth the distraction of bringing him in. And then people got together and be like, oh, now we're just going to box him out. But this is also like seven years past the point at this time, too. Like, if Kaepernick wanted to come back and try to play wide receiver and he was like, all right, at it. I mean, he'd probably be given a shot, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, you know, I just as you were saying that, the thing I was thinking is Kaepernick's game, the way he played, actually is so much of a good fit for the way teams are coaching offenses now that I feel like if if had this whole thing, had the whole had Kaepernick been four years younger and had he done his whole thing, first off in a climate that was more ready to hear Kaepernick's message. People in the United States, when Kaepernick began his journey, were not ready to hear what he had to say. I think in general, you'll find more people agreeing with Kaepernick's message now than you did five years ago. And also his specific football skills are more useful and understood by NFL coaches today than they were when when Kaepernick was playing quarterback. Oh, for most definitely. But now he's probably past the point of being... Uh, he's probably not fast enough anymore. Yeah. No. And I like with the Tebow thing too, I mean, you have the... Maybe Jacksonville's just looking for some pub and anything to do with Tim Tebow is going to get you some pub. Uh, but if he can come in and be like, a, like if he's still built in that sort of way, obviously he probably knows the offense well enough. I mean, no one thinks that Tebow's a stupid guy. Uh, that's, you know, if you can plug him into the offense and he can help, like why not give it a shot? I don't see where there's a downside with this, but people are just like triggered by it. Like, you know, the only reason that people care is because the media is in love with Tim Tebow and they're giving it attention. It's like, well, you talking about it too is also giving it attention. Like I just don't, if he's not good, he's not going to play. So what's the fucking difference? Yeah, I mean, I and I obviously he never he never would have gotten another chance had Urban Meyer not gotten an NFL job, right? No other no other head coach is incentivized to bring him in. I I am starting to be triggered by Urban Meyer just in the sense that I think he's going to be so bad. I think the Jaguars are going to be awful, and I I'm going to be triggered by watching the Jaguars play football. I think. Well, that goes back to the thing, too, that I talked about, about hiring the people I know because I know what they can do versus going out and trying to find someone different. Seems that's all Urban Meyer did. Yeah, Urban Urban Meyer is definitely just trying to run like Ohio State, Florida, Utah South. Like he he's de- like let me put it this way. Urban Meyer's definitely bringing in Alex Smith as a consultant at some point. No, no doubt about it. Oh, I'm just saw a list of tweets from the U.S. Consumer Product Safety that just says, do not fill plastic bags with gasoline. Only use containers approved for fuel. And it's like a 20-tweet chain about how you shouldn't put 
gas near open flames or in plastic bags. What the fuck are people doing? Why do people? Someone, need, I mean, why, there, do, why do American? Why do Americans need to be told this stuff? Like, why does your coffee have to say it is hot on it? Like, what? Why does that need to be a thing in the U.S.? Well, we have we have the worst public schools ever, and we have too many people, and we don't pay our we don't pay our teachers enough money. We don't incentivize we don't incentivize uh, smart, intelligent people. We the the to be to be a teacher in the United States of America, you just you you just really got to be a great person because it's not a job a lot of people want to do for the pay they get. This one just says, we know this sounds simple, but when people get desperate, they stop thinking clearly. They take risks that can have deadly consequences. If you knew someone who was thinking about bringing a container not meant for fuel to get gas, please let them know that it's dangerous. Yeah, it's not great. That's it's not great, that's is a, it? That's a fucking tough scene, man. <laughs> it's uh, it's a very tough scene. It's a very tough scene uh, out here out here in the United States right now. I, I don't know. I uh, I don't know. It do- does not make me feel good. You want to solve your fuel problem? Fuel problem? Just put everyone on lockdown and tell them they can't leave their house. Then no one's consuming gas. Problem solved. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you do you know why this fuel stuff is happening here in the states right now, right? I saw someone hacked into a pipeline or something. Yeah, basically, basically these uh, these ransomware people, um, you know, ran ran this thing in in which. Uh, the the pipelines got halted all along the eastern seaboard here in uh, in the United States. Yeah, and this is leading to the price of commodities going up and the Canadian dollar being stronger, thus Pat losing money. I, I lose enough money gambling as it is. I don't need like my actual like work to be going down in prices. Terrible. I hate these fucking hackers. Who would do this? Who would do this, Davis? Criminals, man. They're criminals. And they they said afterwards, basically like, oh, we're sorry, we we didn't mean to do this. No, that's great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, they uh, yeah, it was it was absurd. All right, man. Thanks for uh, for giving me a call. You know, and now that I have this studio at home, I'm actually more open to do more shows. Strangely enough. Yeah, because you just got a little bit more time. Yeah, like I can just kind of set up the camera and go if it's just me talking about a subject or, yeah, we're obviously not doing this video-wise, so it's just me talking into a microphone. It's easy enough. Yeah, maybe maybe we can bring the Corona cast more often to people. I'm sure people will be very upset about that. I We got we got a couple comments the last time we did it that uh, people people said they, they're like, oh, these these are one of the podcasts I listen to right away. Yeah, but I feel like that's a. I got a bunch of really nice emails, so thank you. I mean, I assume those people who sent me those emails and the tweets and the DMs are the people still currently listening to this fucking, what is it, two hours into it. But um, yeah. I think it's a big split because uh, there's a high section of my audience who hates your guts, which I don't quite understand. And I assume it's probably. Oh, I, I get it. And I, I, I'm assuming it's probably <laughs> the uh, the inverse for me with your audience as well, that there's a lot of people who like. I would assume that people that really like Davis Maddock probably don't love me as much. Well, just the the people that don't like me are are the um are the hardos, right? They're the they're the you know they they they're they're just the they're the conservative hardos. I don't even know about that. I just think it's people with you know you know masculine people with high T don't like you, like me. That's why you know, I I can bring myself down to your low T level and talk to you. But, you know, high T Pat Mayo, Alpha Pat Mayo. You know, the alphas don't like you, Davis. Yeah, I mean, certainly anyone who calls themselves an alpha male probably <laughs> does not like me. If the guys out there who, like, have, like, 
like alpha male in their bio, I would uh, I would wager that those people do not like me. I think that we should come up with some sort of football bet this year where you have to change your Twitter profile to what does it say right now? It says Swolecast, Takecast, SportsGrid, DavisMatic at gmail.com, Best Ball Dynasty, FFP. This is just Bitcoin. When what's WhenPacks.com? Well, that's just the link to my my vanity website. Uh, it's uh, it's a it's um it's a Top Shot joke. Okay, uh, it should just have a link to your rap songs. Uh, that would be awesome. But no, we're gonna have a bet where if you lose, you're gonna have to change your Twitter name to Davis Matic American Flag for one thing. Oh no! Oh no! I mean, here this is this is a good question. Have you ever? had a positive interaction with someone who had an American flag in their bio? Yes, I have. Um, but I go into it because I've had so many... It's not even that I have bad experiences with people who have American flags in their bio. It's just normally when I see like the most egregious tweets on the internet, or at least on Twitter, it's usually from people with American flags as next to their name in their bio. But I think that some people, because we're online so much, I think some people have it because they genuinely love America. That's not like the stance that they're like, oh, I'm... I feel like there's two different things. There's one being proud of your country and being a proud American. And then there's something that having the American flag in your Twitter bio represents to a certain segment of people. Like basically you're like QAnon guy, right? Isn't that like sort of the symbol for it? Like you're a patriot. Yeah, American American flag. Yeah, if you call yourself a patriot, you're you're probably a QAnon guy. Yeah, and like there's a difference between people who are patriotic and don't know anything about this and just want like, hey, I'm patriotic. I love America. That's one thing. It's another thing for that to be like co-opted into being like a QAnon patriot conspiracy thing that the other person might not even know about. So you do get interactions. Like the first thing I see, it's like, Oh God, American flag guy tweeted at me. I'm sure this is like awful. And then you're like, Oh no, this is like a normal guy. He just doesn't know. (laughs) I also assume that anyone who follows me or interacts with me, who is of that bent, who like thinks they're an alpha male has the, I've already muted you and I don't see your tweets. So uh, probably a lot of that stuff just completely. I, I just don't see it. But what I'm saying is that not everyone is that inside that, you know, you have to be able to, you have to give people a chance. I mean, if they do something to get muted by me, then, you know, they've done something to get muted by me. But I'm not just not going to look at someone's profile and mute them right away. That's not Pat Mayo. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, uh, you are. Yeah, that that's true. So that's the way that I would look at it. But yeah, by, by and large, like there are certain things that, you know, if you weren't on Twitter 18 hours a day and it was like a part of your life, you just wouldn't know. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there. I think it's. I think it's universally accepted that Twitter is bad for our mental health, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that everyone would agree on that. But people still love it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm. I'm literally on Twitter right now, and even though I'm like acknowledging that it's terrible for me, but I literally have Twitter pulled open right now. Did you get on TikTok? You seem like you're still at a, at the higher end of the age range that could like make it worth. No, nah, dude, I'm I'm way too I am way too old for TikTok. Tick, like twenty is like a little bit too old for TikTok. It feels like is anyone big on fantasy football or gambling on TikTok? Yes, but it's like high schoolers. Okay, could could forty? I mean, I, yeah, could, I I don't I literally I literally don't know anything about it. Um. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like, I feel like someone could get into that space and like really make a lot of money. I look at the counselor. Like the counselor has a huge grab over Instagram. He really does. Um, that if you could 
build up that sort of following by kind of being first on the scene to utilize this full time as your medium. Like everyone in the industry uses Twitter. It's not like you're getting like if you're not Matthew Barry or Evan Silva, you're you're not really getting too far ahead on Twitter. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're. Yeah, <laughs> if you wanted to gain a larger market share of the fantasy football realm, you would the the most efficient way to do it would certainly not be Twitter. No, but I feel like something like TikTok would be a good way to do that. I have no, I, I don't have TikTok. Not that I'm against it or anything like that. I just didn't download it when it came out. Now it feels like it's too far gone for me to get in, but I don't even know if that's true. I feel like TikTok probably still has loads of loads of growth left, honestly. So is there, so it's not finite, so you're not going to pile it into garbage bags to hoard it? I, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a, a by nature hoarder, though. Now, neither am I. I don't get hoarding. Like something is. I mean, I, I get. I get the the impetus, but I I personally have never gone through the effort to do it. I think there's probably some things that I hold on to that I shouldn't for too long. But like I said, where I move so much that like you, stuff gets chucked out. <laughs> like I, oh, I don't. This has no utility to me. I it's, it's gone. Yeah, uh, I'm a, I'm about to move, so I'm about to start hucking stuff. Now, I, I do hoard some things. Like, I have, like, clothes that I've had forever that I won't get rid of, but I, I am looking forward to getting rid of a bunch of crap when I move. Usually, I'm pretty good with the purge of clothes, but I just haven't bought new clothes in two years, so it's a tough scene. Yeah, tough scene. Well, I mean, yeah, but uh, that I guess that means you haven't gotten fat enough to have to buy new clothes, so that's probably good, right? No, one of the things that I did before I actually moved, I bought some uh, some of those Bowflex weights. You know which ones I'm talking about? The adjustable weights? Yeah, yeah. So the adjustable barbells, they go up to like 55 on each side, but they can go down to as low as five. I was like, well, I had my weight set in Toronto. I gave it to Cody before I left in my bench, so... I got a bench delivered. I got cussed off Facebook Marketplace. I bought these things to drop them off at my place. So when I showed up where I couldn't go anywhere, it's like I still want to work out the entire time. So at least I have a weight bench. And the the adjustable dumbbells aren't bad. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's not like having a 55-pound dumbbell in your hand. It's a bit uneven because they're a bit longer than everything else, but I really don't mind them. I think that especially spatially, if you live in a small place like – I find it so much easier because what I had before was like a bunch of uh, what the fuck are they called? Not dumbbells, but like you know, the the cast iron weights that you put on the end. Like I had a bar, yeah. I had a, a barbell, uh, like just not like a a weight like a bench pressing one, like two dumbbell like size bars, and I would have all these weights that I could take on, take off, like it would prevent me from working out a ton because I didn't have a lot of space to put them, and just the hassle of you know taking off a 45 and putting on a 25 or putting on a 10 or having to match up a 25 with a 10. Like it doesn't seem like a big thing, but you know, when you get like 30 minutes into a workout, you're just like, Oh fuck, I have to change up these weights again. Cause I want to do this set with this weight. Ah, fuck that with these ones. At least I can drop them in the thing, turn the weight to the, what I want and then lift it back out. It takes like two seconds. That's, that's not bad. Yeah. So what, what you are describing is what many people have started to do. And this was another thing I want to talk about. I, I have decided, Pat, I, I have my home gym set up. I got, I got a bike. I have resistance bands. I have kettlebells. I have an exercise ball. I have, um, the, not, not a Bowflex adjustable weight, but a, another branded, I think the, just the Amazon basics branded adjustable dumbbells. I I've decided two weeks after vaccine two, I, I think I'm going back to the gym. I think I've decided. 
Oh, I, w- I would love to go. Because it's, it's almost like the studio thing, where when I go to the studio, I'm there to record shows. I'm there to work. Hundred percent, exactly. When I go, when I go yeah. to the gym, I'm there to fucking work out. Like, even when I was working out last night, I was trying to get, in, like, in a full chest set, and... I have my like station set up like with the mat, with the bench, with the weights. It's kind of like right next to where the recording computer is. So I would like do a set of weights and I would go over to the computer and be like, oh, I can upload this show right now. Let me spend three minutes doing this. Like my mind's not in it when I'm working out from home. I like having the ability to work out from home. And I think that's going to be beneficial, but I'm not going to stop. Once the gyms reopen here, I can go to them. Uh, I'm going to be the first person to go book my time. It's just it's more intense. I get a better workout and I can do anything that I want. Like, you know, I can do bench presses here. I can do arm curls here, but I don't have a full like bench press setup. I didn't like the decline on this bench. Isn't the best. Like if I want to do decline presses or even like incline arm curls or use some of the machines or go run on a treadmill because you know it's currently raining outside. I can do all those things at a gym and I'm fucking geared up to do it when I'm there. Exactly. Yeah. Like, so, so I would say one out of every three times working out at home, I, um, like one out of every three times I get to full Zen. Like I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm not hating it. I'm liking what I'm doing. My heart rates up. I'm, I'm really getting in a good pump. And then the other two out of three times, it's very half-assed. I think that would make sense. I think I would like to have a treadmill at home because I would watch TV and just be on a treadmill. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 that's a, I'm going to do that when I move, I'm going to do that into, I'm going to do that into my new house. I'm going to set the bike up in front of a TV in the basement so that I can play video games while I ride the bike. Yeah. It it would just be something that like, that wouldn't be like my main run or my main walk for the day kind of thing. But (coughs) if I'm at home and I'm watching fucking Monday night football or something like that, like I don't mind setting like even if I'm just going for like a light jog or something, I'll set it to like 6.6 on the treadmill and just have a jog and watch the game. It's not preventing me from doing anything else. And that way, like cardio sucks. Running sucks. Everyone knows this. Even people who claim that they love running. I run a fucking ton and I fucking hate it, but it's, you know, it makes me feel good when I'm done. Put it that way. And it helps me does. It helps me shed the weight so my gigantic new head on camera doesn't look so, so gigantic, at least wide. But that's just, that seems very sensible to me. The thing is, I don't know if I want to spend like 3000 bucks on a treadmill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, now, do you do you ever go on on walks? Something, so, so uh, my, my buddy, um, Steve Finkelstein, you, you might have interacted with him before on Twitter. He's, he's kind of, he was in the DFS space for a long time. Uh, and he, he lost like 150 pounds and is like this cut ripped guy after formerly being, um, overweight. And, and one of the things he told me is like, uh, and he, he pointed me out to a bunch of great, um, fitness resources and stuff is like, if you just walk like five miles, that burns about 80 ish percent of the calories as it does running and that helps people like me who truly hate cardio yes and no i walk because i walk with the kids so i'll take the kids out for a two three mile walk like every second day uh, when it's nice out. if it's nice out, i'll probably go every day if i have the time with them and that's what i was doing at the very beginning of the pandemic like last summer i, I would take them out for like five mile walks i had fucking nothing to do in the middle of the day uh and yeah i agree with you but like walking five miles for me takes fucking for like i have a log of like everything that i do i'm finally building up my cardio once again like after the injury after not being able to run for ages going for like three four runs a week is you know i'm seeing vast improvement like i was i'm just looking at my logs right now 
So when I take the kids out for a walk, let's see, average pace, 17 minutes per mile, average pace, 15 minutes and 45 seconds per mile, 1714 per mile, 1930 per mile. Uh, Because I'm walking along with them, we stop, you know, sometimes I have to change the kids on the way, I stop and give them snacks, that kind of thing. But when I'm running, like I've gone back down to like I was average pace, like 846 for five miles, but now I'm back down to like seven, where's the last one that I did? 749 for five miles. So like I can get my five, I just don't have that much time during the day is what I'm saying that, well, you might burn 80% walking five miles as you would running five miles. I also run five miles in like 38 minutes rather than two hours to walk it. So I, I generally, because I don't have kids, um, so I, I have like more time. And also I find that to be a good, like I, I, um, you know, I'm not in the office. I'm not checking Slack. I'm not checking emails as much as possible. That's kind of like my, my disconnect time. And also it, it lets me listen to podcasts un, undistracted, which I enjoy. I can't listen to podcasts when I run walking. I can running. I can't. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. I can't, I cannot, I cannot listen to, I cannot listen to podcasts when I, when I work out. Cause it just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't do it. No, I need to, I actually have two separate, actually I have a bunch of separate playlists, but I have one for a two mile run, one for a three mile run, four, five, and six mile run. And I also have different playlists for like a 20 minute lift, a 30 minute lift and a 45 minute lift and an hour long lifting session that kind of ebbs and flows with like pump up music the entire time. I really need to trick myself into working out is what I'm saying. Yes. Yes, you do. I, I have another call I got to hop on. So I, I have to bid you adieu, Mr. Mayo. All right. I will talk to you soon. Thanks for uh, pinging me here. Yeah. Hey, anytime. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. All right. See ya. Bye. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.